When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome everybody into another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. I'm your host, Georgia Southern writer for Underdog Dynasty, Brian Stone, joined once again by Georgia State writer for Underdog Dynasty, Zeke Palermo. Zeke, it was a banner week in the Sun Belt, specifically in the Sun Belt East. What do you think, and we'll we'll break all this down and get into this, what do you think these upsets meant for the conference as a whole? I mean, this was the, I don't feel like I would be remiss if I called this the single greatest week in Sun Belt history. Obviously, uh, as we'll get into those games uh, individually, but there were two upsets over top 10 teams, um, and a couple other games against uh, solid opponents that ended in uh, the Sun Belt's favor. So, I would put to say it put the Sun Belt on the map, maybe uh, understating its relevance pre- previous to this week. But I think everyone now knows uh, what the Sun Belt is. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump right into this. We've got a lot of games from week two to talk about, and a lot of games coming up this coming Saturday to talk about. So let's just start off. I'm just running through uh, ESPN's scoreboard. Uh, Let's start off with uh, Arkansas State traveled to Columbus to take on the number three Buckeyes. Um, Obviously, Arkansas State was never in a position to win this game. Uh, I mean, Ohio State, you know, just has superior playmakers all around the field. They've got just a superior team in general. However, I did like that my call on the crazy betting line for Ohio State last week worked out. Uh, they, if, if anybody took Arkansas State, I think it was plus 43. Uh, that was easy. Uh, Arkansas State was never in danger of losing this game by 43. But C.J. Stroud for the Buckeyes lit the Red Wolves up. Uh, Arkansas State couldn't do anything on the ground, could do very little through the air. Um, what do you have on this game, Zeke? It's, there's not a lot to talk about because it was pretty much a domination from every every facet. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, what we've talked about previous, and we're going to talk about week in, week in, week in, about Arkansas State is their lack of defense. Um, and the fact that they couldn't move anything offensively, uh, it was James Blackman only 188 yards through the air. Their leading rusher only had 20 yards. That was uh, Champ Fleming's. The fact that they were unable to move the ball is just unsustainable for the lack of defense they have. So obviously, as you said, Ohio State was going to blow them out no matter what. But the fact that they could not get a single thing moving offensively is really, really poor for how this team wants to play. Zeke, uh, do you want to know what I think is the most impressive thing that Arkansas State pulled off in this game? I would love to. Okay. 
the most impressive thing to me was that, like you mentioned, Champ Fleming's had 10 catches for 105. The most impressive thing to me is that I just clicked on his profile. Champ Fleming's is 5'5", 142. Is he really? That's what ESPN says. I don't know if that's correct. Yeah, I don't know if that's correct, but they've got a Darren Sproles type back there who was their leading receiver against a top five team in the country. And yeah, that's impressive to me that (laughs) that a guy that size can play, you know, and show up and have 10 grabs, you know, that's, that's not easy to do, especially against some of the players that Ohio State has. But um, so to correct yeah. you, ESPN has him at five five. He's actually five six. I'll have you know. Well, they must have measured him without. They must have measured him without uh, cleats on ESPN. <laughs> um, uh, so Ohio State, like I said, dominant. Travion Henderson had eighty seven yards and two scores on just ten carries for the Buckeyes. Uh, not a lot to to talk about. Um, from the Arkansas state side, uh, the team just had one sack, didn't force any turnovers, um, or rather forced one turnover, uh, a fumble to, uh, Jalen Johnson. But yeah, I mean, Marvin Harrison jr. Absolutely lit them up. I think he's going to be a stud in the NFL. Uh, obviously he's got the pedigree with, you know, his dad, uh, mm-hmm. and all, but seven catches, one eighty four and three scores is nuts. And he's not even projected to be the number one receiver drafted from that team uh, next year. So that's crazy. Um, but yeah, overall Arkansas state just stomps Arkansas or Ohio state stomps Arkansas state as we kind of expected. But again, if you, if you felt bold and wanted to take the plus 43, uh, that one was a, an easy winner. Um, let's get into the first big upset of the weekend. Uh, for the Sun Belt, App State goes into Kyle Field uh, with co- at College Station, dominates the time of possession. I believe they had the ball for 41 minutes in this game. So Texas A&M barely ever, barely ever possessed the football. App State just absolutely crushed them, uh, especially on the ground. Cameron Peoples, 112. Uh, and some other guys kind of chipped in, but they just absolutely just manhandled the Aggies. And when it comes to doing, um, getting what you, I'm just, I'm, I'm, su- I'm surprised just because I know App State is a good football team, and I, I called it when I said I thought I, Texas a was kind of a, a poser team because of how they played against Sam Houston in Week One, but I didn't see this coming. Zeke, what did you think about this one? Uh, yeah, it was obviously, I think it was App State's run game that really allowed them to turn this into what it became. Uh, you mentioned 41 minutes of possession, Cam Peoples on 20 carries, upwards of 100 yards. Um, although no one else really contributed to that run game, uh, Amani Marshall had 3.2 yards per carry, Daytrich Harrington 2.8 yards per carry. Um, I was just really happy to see that this team had some semblance of a run game, right? After they had that uh, that big shootout against South Carolina where Chase Bryce threw for like six touchdowns. So the fact that Cameron Peoples is back as a really reliable back for them um, shows that they have a very comprehensive offense that's going to be able to probably dominate most of the Sun Belt. 
So there's two things that stood out to me about this game. And one of them came on the field and one of them was off. Uh, You mentioned app having to play a shootout in week one with North Carolina. Uh, I think it was impressive that they were able to shore up that defense and Mm -hmm. just allow the Aggies to score seven offensive points because the other touchdown came on a kick return uh, in the third quarter by Texas A&M. But the second thing that, that was stood out to me was, I don't know if you've heard about this or not. I'm sure you have, but we can discuss it it a little bit is the, is the weird thing where Texas A&M did their midnight yell and the video leaked. And this is like a, 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 a weekly tradition for Texas A&M fans where they get these guys to stand in front of the fans in the stands at midnight on Friday. And yep. they just insulted app and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure they do this every single week. However, the video went viral because of the result of this game. And now Texas A&M is going through and copywriting like copyright infringement, every person who posts the video. So now you can't find it anywhere online. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. I did see the video and I thought it was uh, interesting. They were asking like, what, what state is Appalachia? Um, So, you know, a little fun to see a big program take a hit like that, but I had not heard that copyright story. And uh, I don't know. I think I'd do the same if I got embarrassed after uh, talking that much smack. (laughs) <laughs> I just I, I'm starting to just be of the opinion that people that go to Texas A&M are, are weird just <laughs> in general. Um, there was a good comment on the college football subreddit that I saw uh, after this whole thing happened with the, the copyright stuff uh, where um, someone said that Texas A&M are city boys cosplaying as cowboys cosplaying as soldiers, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all credit to app state in this one. Like I said, they were able to shore up that, that defense that seemed leaky in week one. Um, I just, you know, they held Haynes King for Texas a just 97 yards passing. Um, I just, I, I'm wondering at this point, which app state is the real one? Is it the one that we saw score? you know, 120 combined points with North Carolina in week one, or is it this team that is a grinded out 17 to 14 win type of team? That's what it's going to be interesting for me to see moving forward. Yeah, I I would tend to, obviously, I don't think it's on either extreme, but I think what we saw against A&M is not really how they're going to play week in, week out. When you have a quarterback as talented as Chase Bryce, I don't think you're going to only pass the ball 30 times. Um, and as a team, they rushed the ball 52 times, which is just absurd. So yeah. obviously you'll be, you'll see in the future a bit more of a balance, but I think Bryce's attempts will trend closer to 40 while those rushing numbers start to drop. I don't know, man. It, I think it all depends on, uh, what the kind of game script is like. If they are controlling the game and the time of possession, like they did in this one, I think they're more than happy to just, have chase Bryce throw the ball like 30 ish times. Mm -hmm. Um, because if you can, if you can just lean on that run game and your defense shows up and just allows two touchdowns, um, I don't see why you wouldn't, you know? So, so that, uh, that's that. 
Uh, huge upset App State comes away with a win over number six at the time, uh, Texas A&M. Let's get into the second big upset. Uh, both of these games almost happened, I think, simultaneously or almost ended simultaneously. Marshall defeats number eight, Notre Dame. Uh, rough start to the Notre Dame tenure as the head coach for Marcus Freeman. However, uh, for every cloud, a silver lining. I saw that today he was officially uh, made a Catholic, which makes him an official Notre Dame coach. So good okay. for him on that. However, bad, on the bad side of things, Tyler Buckner, their starting quarterback, is out for the season after this game, Notre Dame's. Um, so that's rough. But Kalen Laybourne just absolutely took the Fighting Irish defense to the woodshed, a defense that I thought was pretty good after week one. Yeah, um, Kalen Laybourne, I think, obviously in the absence of Rasheen Ali, you and I were questioning how are they, how is Marshall going to replace Ali, who was last year's, if not the single, was one of the best running backs in the uh, country last year. Um, so he really stepped it up, 31 carries for 163 yards and a touchdown. Um, however, looking towards, and we'll talk about this when we preview Marshall's next game, uh, they play Bowling Green next week. Um, Rasheen Ali came back to practice today. Um, he took a couple weeks of leave, and I, I, we don't really have any news on what what kept him out, but he's back with the team. So I'm curious if they stick with Laybourne, if they run by committee, or what the plan is here for Marshall. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I, I mean, I feel like Laybourne has definitely cemented himself a role with Marshall, but with the way that he played the first two games of the season. However, when you look at the breakdown of like some of these uh, carries in this one, I mean, they had 50 carries and Kalen Laybourne had over two thirds of them. So it, it definitely seems like Marshall just likes to pick a running back and just roll with him and kind of make him the bell cow. Yep. So we'll see. We'll see if Laybourne, like I said, also, I didn't realize this Laybourne is a transfer over from Florida state. Um, interesting that he decided to transfer to Marshall because there was never going to be a guarantee that he was going to overtake Ali. But uh, again, he may have carved himself out a role, which is nice. Uh, elsewhere, your boy, Henry Colomby was fairly efficient. Uh, didn't throw for a ton of yards, but was 16 of 21, 145 and a score. Uh, like I said, Buckner, uh, Notre Dame's quarterback is out for the season. He ran for two scores, but he also threw two picks. Uh, their backup drew pine came in and threw a touchdown and an interception. Um, and then Michael Mayer, the receiver for, or the tight end for Notre Dame is one of the best tight ends in the country, if not the best tight end, I think. And he played fairly well with the 103 yards and a touchdown, but yeah, once again, it, it was kind of the the same thing as the uh, the App State upset. They Marshall just absolutely just did whatever they wanted to do on the ground. Uh, the time of possession was much more even in this one, but Notre Dame has just looked really bad on offense the first two weeks of the season. And I hate to say this, but Buckner being out might be a positive because he really couldn't move the ball against Ohio State in week one. And I know that it's Ohio State, but he really couldn't move the ball in this one either. So we'll have to see how that that all plays out for Notre Dame. But a tough zero and two start for the Fighting Irish and Marcus Freeman, but a great program and 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 Sun Belt win 
overall for Marshall in that one, picking up the win over number eight Notre Dame and moving to two and zero. Uh, let's get to the next game on the slate from Saturday. Miami absolutely rolled Southern Miss thirty to seven. However, I checked the scoreboard in this one uh, at halftime, and it was only ten to seven Miami. Yep. Miami sort of exploded in the second half to to really put this one out of reach. Um, once again, I, I mean, I, I just I don't know what this I don't know what Southern Miss's answers are going to be on the offensive side of the ball. So Zeke, you want to kind of take take over on this one? I mean, yeah, it's just like Southern Miss doesn't have an offensive identity. We thought it was going to be Frank Gore. Uh, Frank Gore Jr. after he rushed for almost 180 yards against Liberty last week. Um, but this time, this week against Miami, obviously a better team, but only seven carries for 10 yards is atrocious. Um, I believe the, the Golden Eagles made a change at quarterback. Zach Wilk got the start. He played fine, 16 for 27, 207 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Um I just, like a lot of these games, I don't think Southern Miss was ever going to win this game. It's impressive that they played a half of competitive football with Miami, but they just have, it looks like if you take Frank Gore out of the equation, this offense has nothing else to provide. Uh, And, I mean, teams are just going to start stacking the box, and, you know, Southern Miss is going to put up 7-14 a week if that keeps happening. It definitely does seem like it's going to continue happening from what I can tell. I mean, they they really struggle throwing the football. Um, and if Frank Gore can't can't sort of generate that entire offense, it's just going to be tough for them on offense all around. Um, but yeah, I mean, their receiver Jason Brownlee had 102 yards uh, receiving and a score in this one, so that's uh, definitely a positive start. However, they just need to be able to be more balanced. Um, because it seems like there are games where, you know, Gore goes out and just smashes and they just run the entire offense through him. And then in this one, like you said, I mean, uh, it was 10 to seven at half and he only got seven carries. So I, I'm, I, I don't know like what the, what the deal is there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, Miami smashed in this one, especially in the second half. Uh, they actually get to play Texas A&M on Saturday, which is interesting. Um, so, so yeah, in this one, Southern Miss drops to 0-2, Miami 2-0 now. Uh, let's move on to the next game. This was your game, North Carolina, Georgia State. Uh, I was sort of keeping up with the score on this one. Uh, North Carolina turns ball over three times, and it looked like Georgia state from what I could tell was doing a good job keeping pace, especially in the, you know, when the third quarter sort of rolled around, why do you think the Panthers weren't ultimately able to, you know, upset the Tar Heels in this one? Uh, I mean, if you were to pin it on one thing, it really just comes down to, um, and I wrote about this when Georgia state played South Carolina, you have to air with the team that has a better program, has a better reputation and North Carolina I believe was favored going into this game. So it, it it's not a complete shock. Um, near the end of the game, uh, Georgia State just wasn't able to put anything together. They scored, I believe it was 24 unanswered points uh, mm-hmm. for one stretch. 
But after that, I mean, they didn't score anything in the back half of the third and at all in the fourth quarter. So it's a repeat of kind of what we saw against South Carolina of playing a really, really good half, a really, really good two and a half quarters of football. Um, But so I think against worse opponents, Georgia State's going to win these games. They play Charlotte next week, I think should be a fairly dominant win for them. But it's just got to come back to what we talked about couple of weeks ago it's got to be consistency from this team that we are uh just over the course of a game that we haven't seen yet well uh consistencies aside you know uh, um darren granger turned in a solid performance 16 of 24 186 and three scores also ran for 75 on the ground to talk a little bit about his performance what was the biggest difference that you saw versus the South Carolina game when he was pretty inefficient as a passer? I honestly couldn't really identify anything spectacularly different other than he was just making better passes, right? He was hitting his receivers. He um, And I think the fact that they were able to run the bar, ball efficiently against North Carolina obviously helps, um, you know, pass, run to set up the pass kind of deal. But I don't think that Granger really changed much. He just had a better game in terms of how he was throwing the ball, how he was seeing the field. But it's good that they, um, I mean, as you mentioned, I believe last in week one against South Carolina, he completed something like seven passes total. So the fact that he is capable of putting together a competent passing game is, uh, is huge for how that offense, uh, how that offense operates. Yeah, I believe he was something like seven of twenty-nine in week one, or something crazy. It was, it was, it wasn't a game where they Georgia State just threw like ten passes and he completed seven of them. It was like, didn't you say he he on week one he missed like twenty-one straight completions or incompletions or something like that? There was a streak, and the the exact number escapes me now. But there was a double-digit streak of incompletions during that South Carolina game, and. That just That's is crazy. It's ridiculous. And the fact that he was able to come around and have less than double digit incompletions over the course of the game. Uh, I mean, like I said, consistency as cliche and as almost ambiguous as that term is. That's what this team needs. Yeah. Uh, so Robert Lewis was the uh, primary uh, beneficiary of Granger's uh, improved passing seven catches, one fifteen, and two scores. However, Georgia State can't pull it out, and North Carolina kind of iced the game late with a couple of touchdowns uh, to move to 3-0. and Georgia State drops to 0-2, but like you mentioned, and we'll sort of talk about this a little later, they get a good shot at defeating uh, Charlotte incoming this Saturday. So we'll see if, if the Panthers can pick up their first win. Uh, going down into some of the, uh, the later games, South Alabama traveled uh, to, I believe it's, I, I don't know where central Michigan's located Mount Pleasant and defeated, uh, the Chippewas by two touchdowns, 38, 24, uh, Jalen Wayne had a much improved or let's say caught more passes. Uh, I don't know that he, he was very efficient last week, but he caught 10 targets, uh, for one Oh two and a score in this game. Uh, Carter Bradley was, was very sharp, even though he just completed 50% of his passes, but threw for three thirty nine and three scores, um, pretty much just a complete offensive performance by the Jaguars in this one. Uh, yeah, that's what we were talking about, uh, 
a little bit about how this team, they may not be the best top to bottom, but they're a fairly complete team, right? They've got an offense. They've got, or they have a quarterback. They have a couple running backs. They have the receivers. And uh, 24, I feel like if you allow 24 a game, you're setting yourself up to go about 500 over the course of the season. Uh, this game was never really in question. Uh, I mean, 14 points score, but uh, going into half, the score was 31 to 10. So, uh, good game for the Jaguars, and I think they uh, are they two and zero now. Because if so, I think they've uh, they've put together themselves quite the yeah they're two and zero now. So quite the season thus far, and maybe they can finish around that 500, maybe plus 500 mark. Yeah, uh, th- we'll have to see later on in the season because they really, I mean, they struggled. They were another team along with Georgia State that really struggled to be consistent last year. Uh, I believe they lost to ULN one week, and then there was another loss. I think they lost to Texas State as well, which is tough, uh, losing to both of those teams. Um, but yeah, m- you know, LaDamian Webb, the running back for the Jaguars, 91 yards and two scores on the ground. Uh, Central Michigan was kind of forced to air it out. They they really couldn't run the ball at all or didn't even really attempt to, if you look at it. I mean, 27 attempts on the ground compared to 46 through the air. I mean, South Alabama sort of had their number. And like you said, they were up 31 to 10 at half, and it was pretty much just cruise control from there. Uh, but yeah, good start for the Jaguars. Two straight wins to open the season. Central Michigan, 0-2. Let's move on. Uh, James Madison, Well, this is going to be a quick one, uh, just absolutely rolls Norfolk State. Norfolk State just becoming the Sunbelt's whipping boy. Um, Todd Centennial, once again, great performance through the air. 165, three touchdowns, just through 17 passes in this one. It was, a li- it was light work for the Dukes. Um, yeah, they just continue to be, uh, impressive moving up from FCS. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's not much to talk about. Um, I feel like you left maybe wanting a little bit more from the rushing game. Uh, Percy Aguayo-Bese, uh, rushed for 88 yards, but 34 of those came from one play. So, uh, 50 yards over 11 carries, still very good, but, uh, he only had about, uh, 11 carries outside of that 38 yard or so. Um, Centeno, great game, but um, not to poo poo their performance. I'd love to see a little bit more out of that rushing game, uh, or rather, one prominent back in that rushing game. We've got you. It's yeah, me. I mean that that, that may be that may, that may be tough for them. Um, you know, uh, we'll have to see how that sort of all pans out. Um, but yeah, Sinteo, once again, great, great performance. Uh, Chris Thornton, the James Madison receiver, seven catches, 102 and two scores. Um, good performance by him as well. So the Dukes moved to 2-0. and I don't, I don't think anybody uh, was, was very surprised by this one. Uh, next game, uh, Old Dominion took on East Carolina in this one. Uh, the Pirates came away with the 18-point victory, 39-21. Old Dominion drops to 1-1, one and one, and East Carolina picked up their first win of the season. Zeke, what did you see out of this game? Uh, I was What really stood out to me was the lack of defense played by Old Dominion. Uh, obviously, 39 points is not good at all. 
Um, although if you look at the box score, I mean, outside of the fourth quarter, they were holding them to uh, relatively poor drives, holding them being East Carolina. But the big number that stands out to me is you look up and down this box score is 531 yards from East Carolina. I mean, that is obscene. That's enough to score, you know, 49 on a week-to-week basis. So if Old Dominion can't seem to shore up that offense, uh, predominantly in the ground game, I thought uh, um, East Carolina, especially Keaton Mitchell, had a really, really good day. Uh, day. He rushed for 160 yards on his own. So if they're uh, if they're unable to shore up that defense, Old Dominion is in for a, uh, a rough stretch of weeks, especially as you start to play some of these uh, higher-powered um, Sunbelt teams. For sure. Uh, East Carolina, like you mentioned, uh, Jalen Johnson was their leading receiver, nine catches for 93. Old Dominion had a great, great receiving performance from Ali Jennings the third, eight, eight catches, 200 yards, three scores, all three touchdowns from Monarchs quarterback Hayden Wolf, who played fairly well as, as well. Uh, but yeah, the defense was just too leaky to keep them in this one. And offensively, I mean, outside of those passing scores, they couldn't do a lot on the ground. They averaged, I mean, according to ESPN, they factored in, you know, Hayden Wolf's uh, sacks or, you know, what have you as well. But they averaged 1.1 yards per carry on the ground. And this sort of plays into what I was talking about when they beat Virginia Tech. Um, the The whole, like, we're just going to stop the other team and block a bunch of kicks and score in weird ways and kick a bunch of field goals. It, it doesn't work every week. It's, it's nice to do once in a while, but you can't like bank on that being your entire identity. Cause it just doesn't carry over week to week. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, this one, I know we, I think you and I sort of disagreed on how we kind of first saw this game go in, but this is exactly how I saw this happening. I thought East Carolina was impressive in week one against NC state. And I thought old dominion, it was a good win against Virginia tech. But like I said, they just scored in so many weird ways that I just don't, I just didn't see it translating. Um, but anyway, yeah, East Carolina moves to one and one old dominion drops to 500. Uh, next game, Louisiana took on Eastern Michigan. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you, Zeke. I was keeping up with this one fairly closely. I was a little afraid Eastern Michigan or Louisiana rather had just kind of fallen asleep at the wheel because it's 14, nothing at half Eastern Michigan, Louisiana looked pretty lifeless all around. And then in the four, in the second half, they come out and score 49 in the final two quarters. So what did you kind of take away from this one? Falling asleep at the wheel is the right thing to say. As you mentioned, 14-0 at half is ridiculous, but then they come right back out at half and drop 49 uh, to Eastern Michigan 7 in the second half. Uh, The big change there, I think, was just the quarterback change. Chandler Fields, uh, who won the quarterback, the starting job a couple weeks ago, um, he was 10 for 21 over the course of the game. He had three passing touchdowns, but that percent, I mean, just under 50% passing is not what they were hoping for out of him. So they switched over to Ben Woolridge, who, uh, you know, he was battling fields in the preseason for that starting job, and he passed for 12 for 13, 169 yards. So I think uh, fields, despite having been named the number one uh, a couple years uh, or a couple weeks ago, rather, um, I think Woolridge may 
have brought bought himself some more time uh, within this QB battle. Yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. Um, so I'm looking at it now, and it's like overall, like you pointed out, the inefficiency on Fields' part. However, if you just sort of combined these two passers performance i mean you've got a you've got a quarterback you could just call him quarterback louisiana 22 of 34 310 and five scores nothing too shabby can't really can't really be upset with that but like you said may have sort of pulled away in this one um but yeah taylor they you know louisiana forces taylor powell uh former troy quarterback to throw three picks in this one even though he did throw for 317 and say what you want about falling asleep at the wheel for Louisiana. Um, Eastern Michigan sort of did that in the second half, because like you said, they just scored seven points. So yeah, good win for Louisiana. However, you kind of want to see them start a little faster uh, because the last two games have not been overly impressive. I mean, obviously they're two and zero. you can't be mad about that. However, it's it's tough to to start a couple of your season with a couple of eh performances, especially early in games. Um, so going going down uh, another thing we don't have to talk about very much uh, was Troy beating Alabama A and M thirty eight seventeen. I did see that uh, Troy quarter, Troy head coach rather John Summerall uh, was not happy with the way that his team played. Uh, even though they obviously picked up the win over what I believe is an HBCU. Um, Gunnar Watson threw for 351 and four scores, but he also threw two picks. Uh, once again, Troy just didn't even really attempt to, to run the ball. Uh, Zeke, what did you kind of see out of them in this one? Uh, I mean, I didn't see or read the uh, summer all interview that you were talking about, but uh what did stand out to me uh, was that Alabama A&M scored 14 of their 17 in the fourth quarter. And uh, again, I didn't really watch or listen to the interview from Summerall you're talking about. That's probably what pissed him off more than anything. The fact that you're allowing 14 in the fourth. Um, the game at that point was so far out of hand going into the third quarter. It was 28-3. to three. The game was out of question. But uh, even if you're putting in the backups and you're allowing 14 in the fourth after almost shutting out the opposition for the remainder of the three quarters. Uh, if I were a coach, I'd be pissed if I were him. Yeah, I think it's a, it, it's a sign that Troy, I, I believe the exact quote, however, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe the exact quote was like something like Summerall said, we've still got a long way to go to get where we, where we need to be in order to sort of win football games. So We'll have to see if if they can sort of pull it together. I mean, they've had a couple. You want to talk about a couple of shaky performances? Troy in the first two weeks has has had some shaky performances, but yeah, easy win overall. Even though, like I said, the head coach was not happy. Troy moves to one and one. Uh, next game up, Texas State picks up their first win of the season in convincing fashion. I didn't see this one coming at all because. Frankly, Texas State looked like a disaster in week one, and they come out and beat Florida International, who, uh, I mean, apologies to our one of our site managers, Eric Henry. Florida International looks like a disaster. Um, 
but yeah, Zeke, what did you kind of think about this one? Um, what really stood out to me was uh, the reliance on the running game. I thought Calvin Hill had a, a hell of a game, and I, I mean, I don't think that he rushed for almost 200 yards on, again, almost tw- uh, 30 carries after the week prior. I think he only had about uh, 10 yards against Nevada. So it's good to see that Texas State was able to move the ball on the ground efficiently. Uh, Lane Hatcher was exactly 50% on his passes, but he still managed three scores to one interception. Um, uh, Texas State looking better than you and I both anticipated, but uh, as you mentioned, Florida International not looking super, super good thus far. Uh, so I don't know if this is much of a substance win or if it is just beaten up on a poor team. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how that goes later in the season. Um, but either way, good win for Texas State. Um, it's nice that they were able to sort of find a way to come out with a W in this one. Cause I was not sure about this at all. Um, but then they, you know, congrats, you get to go play Baylor next week. So that's your, that's your reward for, for picking up your first one of the season. Texas state moves to one and one FIU drops to one and one. And then we get into the last upset of the night for the Sunbelt East specifically Georgia Southern goes into Lincoln, upsets Nebraska, who was a 23-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, 45-42 was the final in this one. Kyle Van Treese absolutely torched Nebraska uh, through the air, 409 yards, did throw a couple of interceptions. However, one he threw when he was in the middle of getting hit and the ball just kind of sailed. Uh, but the first one was an absolutely unforgivable throw into triple coverage. And they, they put up this quote from him, which I, I thought was hilarious, but it was something like, if you, if you take chances and drive fast, sometimes you're going to crash. And I'm like, yeah, but like, (laughs) sometimes you don't want your quarterback to sort of have that mindset. So obviously Zeke, uh, you know, feel free to chime in with, with sort of any thoughts on this one. So despite passing for 56 attempts, uh, something that stood out to me was that Southern still relied on the ground game uh, to get most of their scores. Five of their six touchdowns came off the ground. So uh, I'm curious, Brian, why is that? And is, how do you feel about Southern really committing to this passing offense? Well, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's a good mix. Um, when they ran the ball against Nebraska, I mean, first of all, the offensive play calling was amazing for the Eagles. And I don't just people who know me know that I don't like sugarcoat things because I don't feel like there's any point in telling you something that's obviously not true. Like last season when Georgia Southern was bad, I just told you straight up they were bad. There's no point in being like, oh, they're going to go in and beat Coastal Carolina this week. No, they weren't. So I didn't even bother with it. However, the play calling by offensive coordinator Brian Cook in this one was absolutely perfect. Every The reason that the scores came on the ground was Van Tree scored the game-winning touchdown on a quarterback. I believe it was a draw. It may have been a called draw, but he may have just called, called his own number during the middle of the play. But he sort of laid out at the goal line Uh, and and scored the game-winning touchdown with like 39 seconds to go. But Gerald Green and Jalen White, I mean, 
Nebraska was so focused on the passing game that they just completely would fall asleep when Georgia Southern would hand the ball off. And they just got so keyed in on Van Treese and, you know, Derwin Burgess, the, the leading receiver for Georgia Southern. When they got so locked in on those guys, it was just, I mean, it was just open season for Jalen White and Gerald Green. So great game for both of those guys. Um, not not much more you can ask for from a running game, especially in, you know, 27 attempts on the ground compared to 56 through the air. You could you could say, you know, those guys don't have momentum at the time, but they did. I thought they played. I thought everybody played great. However, I'm going to say on the defensive side of the ball, left a lot to be desired for Georgia Southern. Um, they couldn't stop. The only times that Nebraska, they got Nebraska off the field because they didn't force any turnovers were when Nebraska would just, when Casey Thompson would just overthrow a receiver on third down or something like that, or or they would get a penalty and get behind the sticks and like couldn't catch up. But Nebraska was moving the ball at will too. It was just kind of a, it was a little bit of a whoever had the ball last type situation. And Nebraska even had the ball last, but they ended up settling for like a 51 yard kick or something to try to tie it at 45. And it obviously didn't work. Um, but yeah, also Scott Frost. See ya. Got yeah, I'm door. curious. Was this the kind of game that you think he deserved to be fired after? Obviously, he was. Um, you know, they were unhappy with how he'd performed up to that point, especially this season. But was this fitting to be his last game? The fact that it was only one score. Point. Well, rather. I mean, you have to take you have to take in you have to take in consideration the level of competition. It, it wasn't like they fell by three to Ohio state or any of the other big 10 schools that they have to play on a regular basis. I mean, personally, I, I would have fired frost at the end of last year. If I was Nebraska, I think it, it's fine. If you want to say like, Oh, they went three and eight, but they were in every game. That's fine. However, you can't, you can't do this thing where you enter the next season with your head coach on the hot seat because it, impacts recruiting it it takes it's a negative it's going to be a a negative sort of like stain on your team you know trying to like deal with this every week is our head coach going to get fired i i do think honestly yes i think it was a good choice for them to fire him and i also saw that if they had waited till october 1st the buyout would have dropped by half which would have been seven and a half million dollars and nebraska was just like nah we'll just eat the seven and a half to get you away from our program. So I think it was the right decision. Again, it's not my money. However, I think he should have been fired earlier. I mean, like I said, you can play close games, but if you're, if you're, if you don't ever pull out any of them and you're just hanging your hat on being in one score games all the time and never winning any of them, then what's the point, you know? No, so, that's fair. Nebraska at this point, now one and two. Their one win coming over North Dakota. So, I, yeah. I mean, I agree. He was on the way out. And, uh, yeah, what you got for the next game? All right. So, Georgia Southern moves to 2-0. and uh, Let's get to the last two games. Uh, another easy dub uh, for UL Monroe. Uh, they beat Nichols 35-7. to uh, Chandler Rogers was sharp in this one, 20 of 25 for 253 or 263 and two scores or 253 rather. Sorry. Um, 
you know, uh, just a pretty clear, you know, team win by UL Monroe. Uh, obviously, their defense played fairly well. They forced a turn. They forced one turnover. Uh, UL Monroe didn't have any turnovers on their side of the ball, and they had 424 yards of total offense. So, Zeke, do you kind of have anything to contribute? Because I mean, this is a pretty this was a layup for UL Monroe. I think we both kind of acknowledge that. Yeah, nothing, nothing to really add. Um, although UL Monroe, they picked uh, picked Nichols off one time, and despite completing only, uh, or rather, completing twenty six passes, they were averaging only five point five yards attempt. So they were completing these dink and dunk passes. So um, obviously, don't know enough about Nichols. Uh, or the Colonels to really comment on if that's their style of offense. But it looks like Ewell Monroe was playing at least some semblance of good secondary defense. For sure. So with that, Ewell Monroe moves to one and one this season. Uh, Let's get into the last game of the night. Uh, In a a week where the Sunbelt East had a lot of high-profile upsets, one one team that was, I mean, you've got to acknowledge it was probably a huge disappointment was Coastal Carolina. Um, it took them 54 minutes to totally put away Gardner-Webb, who is an FCS school. Um, they absolutely got shredded through the air by Gardner-Webb's quarterback, Bailey Fisher, who threw for 403 in this one. Um yeah, I mean, this game with 10 minutes left, 10 and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter was 27-24 Gardner-Webb. I couldn't believe it when I kind of looked the score up. Um, Gardner-Webb also had five turnovers, and it was still a four, ended up being a four-point game. Zeke, do you think there's any reason, any cause for concern with a game like this for Coastal Carolina? Uh, I think so, and uh, my primary reason for saying that is the five turnovers you mentioned. Um, if Coastal Carolina just played a poor game and was unable to ever really put it away against Gardner Webb, um, that's one thing. You know, upsets are bad. You know, you get as you said earlier, caught sleeping at the wheel. But the fact that Gardner Webb had five turnovers and you just were unable to put the game away after that is baffling to me especially after how coastals performed over the past few years so um i i don't know if it's long-term uh negative but i know those guys are definitely running some suicides this week and uh i mean that's really all i gotta add they got the win that's all that matters but the something something funky was there yeah, I mean, there might be some cause for concern with Coastal Carolina's pass defense if you're letting a FCS school throw for 403 against you. Um, the one positive, or I guess the one bright spot for Coastal was Grayson McCall was good in this one. Uh, he was efficient, 22 of 30, threw for 308, threw one pick, but had three touchdowns. Um, so a good performance by him. Coastal just couldn't run the ball as I think what it came down to Gardner Webb found a way to make them a one dimensional football team on offense. And luckily Grayson McCall is good enough to single-handedly, you know, win you a football game when you kind of put the whole offense on his shoulders. But yeah, I mean, they've got, it seems like they got a lot to figure out uh, both defensively and maybe in the run game. Uh, We'll have to see what happens when coastal gets a step up in competition, but coastal moves to two and O sort of by the skin of their teeth. Uh, not a lot of positive there. 
Uh, so let's jump into week three. Um, let's talk about Saturday, September 17th, noon Eastern. Texas State is going to travel to Waco to take on number 17, Baylor. Baylor's a 30-point favorite in this one. Um, Zeke, I know 30 is a lot of points. I may take Baylor in the 30. I just don't I, I don't see a way Texas State scores. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, their offense, obviously Hatcher's a good quarterback, and Hill had himself a very, very good game last week, but um, Baylor ranked 17th in the country, uh, just dunked over, I believe, Albany, 69-10, uh, to 10, so I'd be amazed if Texas State scores more than maybe 17. Uh, it's kind of my yeah. take there. Um, so it's. do you think if the spread's 30, do you think Baylor can score you know, 49 points and... I mean, I, I think they might be able to, especially after how they how well they played last week. Yeah, I think they might be able to. Uh, they played a tough BYU school uh, in Utah, which is always hard. Um, they scored 69 in week one, so they're not afraid to run it up. So I could just see this one getting ugly for Texas State. I Again, I think I may take Baylor in the 30. Um, there's a chance that Baylor is able to hit the over by themselves, which is 53. Um, if they're just really committed to just shoving it down Texas state's throat. Um, so yeah, I think the ba- the bears roll there. Uh, one o'clock Eastern time kick. This is an interesting game, Zeke, and I'm going to intro it this way. Uh, Coastal Carolina takes on Buffalo at home, right? Coastal Carolina is a two touchdown favorite. They are facing a Buffalo team that just lost to an FCS school in Holy Cross last Saturday on a last second Hail Mary, 37-31. They lost to Maryland by three touchdowns in week one. I I know there was some trepidation with with the way Coastal Carolina played against Gardner-Webb. However, I feel like Coastal should be a bigger favorite in this one. I think they roll. Although maybe not, I don't know. Maybe you just have two teams that can't can't uh, struggle with FCS programs. I don't know. That that's feasible. Uh, obviously, Buffalo Buffalo's quarterback Kyle Van Treese now playing at Southern. Uh, so they're working with a new guy, Cole Snyder, who uh, who's had himself an okay year. I believe he's passing. Uh, I think it's uh, just under sixty percent from what I remember uh, when I was looking at these this game today. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know if it, 14, if a role, as you said, is really in uh, in place here. But I think that uh, after both teams really struggled, obviously Buffalo losing, and as we just talked about, Coastal sneaking one out against Gardner-Webb, I think both teams are playing for more than just pride, you know? Uh, like, mm-hmm. obviously, prideful of a win, but you've got to come back and absolutely play your mind out after those poor performances to the uh, to Holy Cross and Gardner-Webb. So um, I think this could end up being a bit of a shootout, especially after how uh, Coastal's, uh, Coastal's defense played last week. So um, we'll see. I, I'll take Coastal by 14, but uh, 15 points is the most I'd take them by. Okay. Um, well, getting into the next game, two o'clock Eastern time kick South Alabama travels all the way across the country to the Rose bowl in Pasadena to take on UCLA. 
UCLA is a 15 and a half point favorite. Um, I don't really know what to expect from UCLA. Uh, they've played Bowling Green in week one and blew them out and then played an FCS school in Alabama State in week two and blew them out. I, I'm going to just go out on a limb. I think South Alabama keeps it closer than 15 and a half or you know, 15 or 16 points. I think this is probably a touchdown game. To be totally honest, yeah, neither neither team this season, as you just mentioned, UCLA hasn't played much in terms of competition, and South Alabama played Central Michigan and Nichols, so neither team has really had a real, you know, equal footing game yet. But between the two, they're averaging, uh, I believe, it's eighty eight points between the two teams. Uh, so this could be a real high scoring one. I believe the over under, uh, I'm looking at it now, sixty one and a half. Um, I'm taking that over for sure. It's just going to come down to who can I, – I think this might be maybe not who has the ball last, but who has more of the ball in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think there's a chance South Alabama pulls this one out as an upset. Um, it's It's kind of just a perfect thing of like 2 o'clock is what a 11 a.m. kick – in California, yeah, three hours. So yeah, they're they're playing early for them. Um, UCLA hasn't played anybody in the way of competition. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jaguars pull this one out, um, just because I don't think UCLA is very good. Uh, so going down the next game, another two o'clock kick. Zeke, this is interesting. So Old Dominion plays all three other FBS programs in the state of Virginia this year. Uh, they beat Virginia tech in week one. Uh, they, they play Virginia this week and they play James Madison at the end of the season. If old dominion finds a way to sweep these three games, they're the best team in the state. So there's, there's, there's things riding on this just outside of wins and losses. But, um, Tony Elliott, the former Clemson offensive coordinator has taken over at Virginia. Um, they've had a rocky start to the season. I mean, they beat Richmond 34, 17 in week one, and they lost 24 to three to Illinois in week two. Um, there's also a chance old dominion beats Virginia, you know? Yeah. I, I like Hayden Wolf as we've talked about past couple of weeks. I think Hayden Wolf is going to have another really good game. If he can pass for, you know, two thirty, two forty this game, uh, I think he'll put old dominion in a position to win. Um, it's just going to be old dominion has allowed 28 points per game. Right. And, uh, mm-hmm. it looks like Virginia, I mean, last week they put up only three against Illinois. So, if they allow Virginia to score some points, they're not going to win this game because uh, as we've seen against Richmond and Illinois, Virginia doesn't have much of a defense. So it's going to come down to can Old Dominion shut down the Cavaliers' offense or at least you know control them, uh, contain them. Uh, so I think Old Dominion's defense really has to carry the brunt of the load this week. Yeah, ironically for Tony Elliott being uh, an offensive mind uh virginia's offense has been fairly anemic this year i I know it's small sample they just played two games but they were only averaging 18 and a half a game through two uh and are allowing 20 and a half per game even though 
the the peripheral stats on offense and defense are not terrible, um, but they just they can't score essentially. Um, so yeah, it's be it'd be interesting to see if Old Dominion can can pull off the upset in this one. I think I think there's a chance for sure. Um, okay, so three thirty kick. College Game Day is going to be at Boone for Troy Appalachian State. Um, great for the Sun Belt that college game day decided to come. However, I, I don't think they could have picked a weirder game to attend. I know it's the first conference uh, game of the season. However, Troy just doesn't feel like they're in the same league or conference right now. Talent wise as Appalachian state app is a 12 and a half point favorite. Um, I I'm just interested to see which app state team shows up. I think they win the game outright, obviously, but I'm interested to see if it's going to be another grinded out performance like we saw last week, or are they just going to score a bunch of points and just play, you know, back and forth with Troy, like we saw against North Carolina. Yeah. Obviously it's early in the season, but Troy's biggest best performance thus far is that they played an all right game against Ole Miss. Yeah. Who mind you number 21. App State's best game of the year is they just upset Texas A&M. Uh, yeah. Number six, Texas A&M. So I think that really describes the discrepancy between these two teams. It'll be good to see Sunbelt on national TV. It'll be good that they go out and boon. I don't know if they could have chosen a better place to host it uh, among the Sunbelt teams. But I, I agree with you that App State's probably going to win with this one. I think they're probably going to grind it out. I, I know I just said that I think they're going to rely more on the uh, the passing game over the course of the season, but I think Troy's defense is uh, so good that you you're going to have to play a bit of a grinded out game against uh, against the Trojans. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll see if uh, Gunnar Watson is able to sort of carry the offensive load for the Trojans because uh, you know we know they can't run the football and, and they don't even really try. So we'll see uh, which App State pass defense shows up between the one that allowed Drake May to throw for 300-plus or the one that just held the Texas A&M quarterback, Haynes King, to under 100 yards passing. We'll, we'll have to see which defense shows up. Uh, another 330 kick, Georgia Southern is traveling to Birmingham to take on UAB, the Blazers. Uh, UAB, a 12-point favorite at home. Uh, I know Bill Clark has stepped away from the program for the Blazers. Um, they've had sort of a, um, I guess, up and down way to start the season. Uh, they beat an F- FCS team, Alabama A&M, the one that Troy just struggled with. In week one, they won 59-0. to zero. However, fell to Liberty 21-14 to 14 last week. Um I'm interested to see how this plays out. It seems like UAB is a real grinded out on the, on the ground type team with Dwayne McBride and Jermaine Brown jr. Running the football and Georgia Southern has become, you know, one of the premier, at least statistically offenses in the conference and wants to air it out and wants to score a ton of points. Uh, So yeah. What do you think about this one, Zeke? Uh, I honestly think I have Southern to upset here. Um, I think their win against Nebraska, although they allowed 42 points, I think is a really impressive win. I think Van Treese uh, is making a very, very early case to be uh, 
Offensive Player of the Year in the Sun Belt. Um, obviously, he's not going to win the Heisman, but he's putting up very Heisman esque numbers. Um, but so I, I like Southern to upset. Obviously, UAB's got a really really nice defense. They shut out uh, Alabama A and M and held Liberty to only fourteen. But I think Ventrese is going to have another heck of a ball game. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see if both UAB's defense can put a stop to what Georgia Southern has been able to do on offense because Nebraska couldn't do it. And then they played an FCS team in week one. So that was a wash. Um, But yeah, this is going to be an interesting kind of sort of clash of styles between a team that wants to play a lot of hard nosed, run the football and, and pass at a minimum versus a Georgia Southern team. That's become one of the highest flying offenses in the conference. I think Georgia Southern pulls it out too, man. I, I just feel like, it just feels like ever since that first half that they played against Morgan state, it feels like every time they touch the ball, they're going to score. And I just, I I don't know if UAB I'm sure UAB's defense is solid. However, I I don't know if they're going to get enough stops and I don't know if their offense is explosive enough to, to take this game away from the Eagles. So I'm picking Georgia Southern in an upset as well. I think it's going to be lower scoring than obviously the Nebraska game was, but uh, I think Georgia Southern wins. Um, so getting into this next game, uh, not a lot to talk about. UL Monroe has to travel to Tuscaloosa uh, to take on Alabama. Uh, Nick Saban has already got his guys uh, pumped up because he's reminding them of the time, I believe it was 2007-ish that uh, Alabama lost to UL Monroe in a huge upset right when he first took over the program. So Alabama is going to be ready to roll. Uh, They obviously struggled last week against Texas, but let's just go out. Let's just say UL Monroe is not Texas. Um, You know, we saw that in week one when Texas beat them 52 to 10. Uh, Obviously we, we were going to agree on how this one pans out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Alabama, as you mentioned, Monroe's not Texas, and uh, honestly, uh, from watching last week, the Alabama-Texas game, I thought Quinn Ewers is really the whole reason that Texas was hanging around. I thought after he got injured and was taken out of the game, Texas was playing significantly poor after uh, after that injury, and Monroe, obviously not Texas, also just doesn't have a guy like Quinn Ewers. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, 5 o'clock, uh, Eastern time kickoff Marshall travels to Bowling Green to take on the Eagles uh, Bowling Green with a, with a really rough start to this season so far getting blown out by UCLA in week one and then losing to an FCS school in Eastern Kentucky in week two uh, Marshall, like you said, gets Rasheen Ali back. They already had Kalen Laybourne. I think Marshall is just going to absolutely run the football down Bowling Green's throat. I don't think this one's going to be very close. I think the 16 and a half point favorite line for Marshall reflects that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, with Ali back combined with Laybourne's incredible performance thus far this season, I think Marshall has the offensive firepower to absolutely trample a Bowling Green team that uh, has allowed 52 points per game over the past two weeks. Um, I think Henry, not to, we'll make it a weekly segment, Brian. I love my boy, Henry Columby. Bowling Green allows 340 
passing yards per week. Uh, again, only two weeks, but I think he's primed for a, another big time game. So hopefully he continues. He's 40 for 47 on the season. I'd like to see him go 60 for 67 by the end of this week. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Seven o'clock, we have Southern Miss playing Northwestern State. Uh, Not a lot to talk about in this one. I think Southern Miss picks up their first win of the season. Uh, I think Frank Gore is probably, Frank Gore Jr. is probably going to go nuts in this one. Um, Just because, I mean, hey, it's Northwestern State. Why not? You know, get a little, get a little pep in your step, get a little confidence and, and pick up your first win. Um do you have anything to add to that? Because if you didn't, I, we could just move move on. Not really. I'd just like to see them continue the uh, the passing game that they – obviously it wasn't elite last week, but they did an all right passing game. So I'd like to see mm-hmm. them uh, continue that this week. Okay. Uh, so ne- the next game on the schedule, uh, Arkansas State is traveling to take on Memphis. Uh, Memphis is a two-touchdown favorite. Uh, we know that Arkansas State – uh, you know, open the season looking solid and then ran into Ohio State last week. Uh, Memphis has started their season. They lost by 26 to at Mississippi State in week one and beat Navy by 24 last week. Um, I think this one's going to be interesting. I think uh, the over under 65 and I that's definitely high. I think I may take the over. I think both of these teams are going to score a ton of points. Um However, I think Memphis ends up coming away with the win, but I think that this is this is going to be a shootout. Yeah, Memphis uh, with fourteen a point ha- fourteen point favorites in this one. Um, but I, I guess I don't know if, what ESPN sees. They give uh, Memphis a thirty eight point eight percent chance to win this game. I think these teams are fairly comparable in terms of just talent across the board. Um, they, as we look at these matchup stats, they are looking fairly similar in points allowed and points scored per game, similar splits in their yards, rushing and passing. So um, I don't know if I'll take the over on 65, but I'm definitely taking Arkansas State to cover that 14-point spread. Well, tell me if this makes you feel any better about potentially taking the over. Uh, Memphis is currently allowing on defense 430 yards per game. That makes me feel a little better. Uh, <laughs> however, the between the two, I mean, if you look, just combine their average points allowed per game, it's only at 55. Um, so it, I think it will be a shootout, but 65 is a lot. Give me like maybe 59 between the two teams, but 65 is a lot. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we, we sort of touched on this one, but... Uh, another seven o'clock game. Georgia State welcomes in Charlotte. This one should be a layup uh, for the Panthers. Charlotte um, is zero and three this season, having lost to FAU in a blowout, William and Mary in a blowout, and Maryland in a blowout. Um, Georgia State's a nineteen point favorite. Uh, this is a good game, I think, for Darren Granger to get some more passing game reps because I think they'll be up big. So I think they might they might as well just let him kind of throw it around and see what he can do. I think it's going to be crucial over the course of this season for Granger to have a good game. 
against Charlotte. Um, they've allowed Charlotte's allowed 313 passing yards per game. Uh, I don't think Granger is capable of passing for that many yards in a game, but if he can have a very strong game where he's completing 14, 15 passes, which for him is a lot, um, I think that'll be really instrumental or crucial to how Georgia State performs over the course of the season if they can get Granger another strong performance this week. Sure. Uh, so the last game of the night, 7.30 Eastern time kick, you all, uh, sorry, Louisiana, the Cajuns, are traveling to Houston to take on Rice. Uh, Louisiana is a 12-point favorite. Um, I'm sure Louisiana fans want to see them start off much faster than they have the last two weeks because it's really kind of taken, you know, uh, a jolt to sort of wake them up in these games against Southeast Louisiana. And then last week. uh, So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see also who plays at quarterback, because like you said earlier, Woolridge outplayed field statistically. So what are you kind of looking for in this one? Yeah, I I think not to repeat what you just said, but I think that's really the biggest thing is who is Louisiana going to play at quarterback. Um, They've got two guys who, I think are both capable quarterbacks and uh, uh, even though the spreads, what uh, 11 and a half here and 12 in Louisiana's favor. I think, I think they should have a very, very good game against rice. So I don't know if they'll go with a little two quarterback system, let them battle it out over the course of the game, or if they'll just give one guy the reins and say, have fun, hope you don't mess up. Uh, But I think it's really just, I think that's like the big story of the game is just who do they, like this week at practice for sure so that that does it for saturday's slate of games zeke give me one game that you are looking forward to the most and then tell the folks where they can find you on social media um i think out of this week's games looking up and down i do think that uh South Alabama UCLA is probably my game of the week, if only because I think South Alabama is at the very least going to play a very, very good game against a, a very brand name college. Uh, so that that's my pick for um, the game I'm going to be watching the closest, obviously, outside of the Georgia State game, uh, where you can find my recap and preview of that Georgia State game on Twitter at Zeke Palermo, Z-E-K-E-P-A-L-E-R-M-O. Brian, how about you? I, I I always hate to uh, call out a Georgia Southern game uh, for fear of, of being labeled a homer. Um, but I think Georgia Southern UAB, just the contrast in styles between the two teams and sort of what they want to do. And the fact that they're at this point, I mean, two, you know, middle tier ish uh, G5 teams. I think that that makes it an interesting matchup for me. Um, I I just want to see is UAB's grinded out. You know, I, I've I've read they have a huge offensive line size wise as far as how big their offensive linemen are. Um, I'm just interested to see how that all meshes with Georgia Southern, and this is going to be much like the the app game. Which Georgia Southern defense shows up? Is it the one that didn't allow a point? uh in week one or is it the one that allowed 42 in week two so that's that's the most interesting game to me 
Uh, I'll obviously be doing previews and recap of that game uh, on Twitter. You can find it at Watch the Stone. Uh, once again, this has been another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Sunbelt Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>